Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong, be done, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here have I seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. One of the things that we've been trying to continue to focus on as we've been studying uh, the book of Genesis, and we keep saying this, and I'm going to continue to reiterate this a lot this morning, but, but we're going to keep saying it as we continue to study this book uh, over the next several months, is that we don't want to get too focused on the nitty-gritty details and, and, and debate little individual pieces of little interesting nuggets of theology that we could go off on long tangents on. I think that's a great thing for community group because that just gives us an opportunity to kind of sit and talk, and it's interesting things to kind of banter about and chat about and that sort of thing. But, but we really want our, our, our study, our focus in the book of Genesis to really have this kind of broad view so that we, keep con we can continue to see the big picture of what it is that God did throughout the book of Genesis. How it was that God was working, how it was that God was moving, what it was that he was accomplishing on a very high level picture. We don't want to get too nearsighted on these things. Because, because what can happen when you, get, when you get too nearsighted is you can really focus in on an individual problem and kind of 
you know, miss the forest for the trees. You know, you've heard that phrase, right? We, we, we've all heard that phrase where, where it's like you see this one problem or this one thing and you only laser focus on that. Uh, I, mean, I think back to kind of the way that we focused on our study of creation. There are a bunch of people whose who's laser-focused issue that they really, really love to teach about, really love to talk about is creation, and they will get into the nitty-gritty details. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to ever focus on the nitty-gritty details, but sometimes when we get too focused on any one individual thing, one, one moment or one, one little issue or one little phrase, we can miss the bigger picture of how God has been at work throughout the book and how God is at work in our lives now. When we, when we get too distracted by any, any one problem, we can see this issue, we can see this one thing and say, I have to do something about this and lose, the fact, lose sight of the fact that perhaps God is at work in bigger ways using that as a means of accomplishing his will throughout all of his creation. And so if we, if we get too focused on one thing and lose sight of how God may be at work, it can distract us, and it can cause us to make poor decisions based on this limited amount of information that we only get to see this little small piece. And that tends to be true with the way that we perceive the way God is at work. We, we say, oh God, you're trying to accomplish this thing, but, but in this moment, in this one single, you know, small speck of a moment in my life, I don't see you working in this particular way, so, so obviously you need me to kind of step in and help. And, and as, I was studying, as I was studying for this sermon, uh, I came across this, this really cool thing called the Cobra Effect. Has anybody ever heard of the Cobra Effect? I was trying to, I, I didn't realize this was a thing. So there's this thing called the Cobra Effect, which is you try to fix something, but you only make it worse. Okay? And, and, and it's called the Cobra Effect because a long time ago, uh, when, when Great Britain still controlled India, there was this huge overpopulation of cobras in the country. Sounds terrifying. I'm good. I don't need to be there. So they thought, we need to fix this problem. So the way we're going to fix this problem is we're going to offer a bounty for every dead cobra that somebody brings us. Which I'm sitting there thinking, dead snake's a good snake, so I'm all for that. So, but, but what happened was people said, oh, I can make money by having lots of dead cobras. So I'll just start breeding lots and lots of cobras, and cobras became very valuable, so people decided, we're just going to raise a bunch of them so we can kill them and take them in and get paid. Well, the government realized this was happening, so they said, no more bounties. So the people said, well, now these aren't worth, us, worth anything to us anymore, so they just released all these brand new farmed cobras out into the wild, and now there were like double the cobra population in India. So, so by focusing on, oh, this is a problem, we need to fix this one problem. There's not a better solution. We're going we're gonna to do whatever we can to kind of, you know, inject our will and say, this is the way we're going to fix it. They only made the problem worse. And, and I don't know about you, but double cobra population. That is, that is about as terrifying as, as it can be. I saw a video on Facebook this week. I don't remember where it came from. But somebody found a 50-foot anaconda in a river in South America. I'm done with South America. Thank you, guys. Godspeed. You know, we're good. No, um, so, but I was thinking this through. It's like, we try to do this. It's like, I need to fix this thing, right? Guys, we're the worst about it. I, every time I have ever done premarital counseling with any couple, at some point, we get to this, this part of the conversation where we say, at some point, your wife is going to have a problem, and she's going to want to tell you about it. 
And your job is to sit there and just listen. Don't try to fix it. She doesn't want you to fix it. She just wants to know that you care enough to sit there and listen to her problem and empathize with her. I am the worst at empathy. So I have to work really hard at not trying to fix it. I see your face. I know. You know I'm bad at it. I think it's sad that it was your face and not my wife's face, but it's okay. But, but we do this, right? Where, where we see a problem, we say, I got to do something about this. I've got to fix it. We, we, we lose sight of perhaps maybe what God is trying to do in the bigger picture or, or, or that there's a bigger purpose behind this thing that we perceive as negative. It's like the, that's like the whole plot of Pixar's Inside Out. Did everybody, who, who has seen Inside Out? It's one of the best Pixar movies ever made. Like, I'm going to spoil parts of it now, but it's been out long enough, so I apologize. You're not going to lose, you're not going to miss out. It's still a fantastic movie, even if you know what happens. But, but you've got this main character, Joy. I should have brought a picture of us. We met Joy a couple of weeks ago when we went down to Disney. But, uh, so you have this one character, Joy, who thinks that happiness is the only good thing. Every other emotion is a bad thing. And most of the plot is spent with her trying to keep sadness, the other, her kind of counterpart, from, from being able to ever influence the, this kid that they are the emotions for. And every time she tries to stop sadness from doing something, perhaps when the girl should be sad about something, it just keeps making it worse to the point that she like breaks her emotionally and then she has to go on this long coming-of-age journey. It's an amazing metaphor for like growing up. It's a great movie. You should watch it. But, that's a, but that whole plot is, is this one character, Joy, saying, I see that this is the only good way that this thing could work out. I'm going to... I'm going to manage this situation. I'm going to be in control of this situation. I'm going to fix this. Yeah, there might be all these other people, but nobody else has any say. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do something because if I, don't, if I don't make this thing work, I don't trust that it's going to. That's exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, so in Genesis chapter 16, Abram has just been promised by God uh, I'm going to make a great nation of you. You're going to have a son. Abram's like, but, but God, I'm, I'm kind of old. I don't have a son. He's like, you're going to have a son, and your son's going to be the father of this great nation. I'm going to make this great nation. And, and through you, and again, remember, we've heard this promise. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through your family. God's saying he's going to accomplish these amazing things. Look at the stars in the sky. That's how big your family's going to be. right? And so, and so he's had all of these promises. But again, if you get so focused on any one moment, you can start to really question things if you lose the big picture. What's the big picture? What have we been studying? That God is an amazing creator who created everything and is at work in all of his creation and accomplish anything according to his will. Because he's the only being who's supreme and powerful and sovereign enough to accomplish all of these great things. But sometimes when, when you get too focused, like we said, on, on, a, on like one little detail, you think, God can't accomplish this, I'm going to help. And that's exactly what we see with Sarai, Abram's wife, this week in Genesis chapter 16. So if you go ahead, if you should, you should be there by now, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I'm just going to read Genesis chapter 16 for you, and we can kind of see um, what she does here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened 
to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong be done May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called, the name of, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here have I seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called, his, called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right. So, she sees this problem, does Abram's wife. She says, she says God says he's going to make a great nation of you, but he hasn't given me any kids. And in a sense, it's almost like she's saying, God doesn't love me enough for me to be the one who he's going to fulfill this promise through with. So what you might as well do is you might as well go get married to one of my servants and she can give you a kid. Because obviously God's not going to do that for me, right? She's, she's really losing sight of who God is and what God is able to accomplish. And she's not trusting in the promise of God. She's saying, here's this problem. God isn't able to accomplish it. I'm going to fix it for him. Surely God has just forgotten the fact that I'm as old as I am and it's impossible for me to have kids. There's no hope. I'm going to fix it. And so, and so she tells Abram to go and, and marry her servant, which, which again, we don't want to get bogged down in all the details because you're going to be like, but look, this guy's marrying multiple people. That's, is that the Bible saying that's okay? No, because every time we see polygamy in the Bible, it's, it's a result of some sort of sinful act and, and, and bad things happen because of it. I'm not, that's as far as I'm going to go on polygamy, but bad things happen because of polygamy. Polygamy is bad. Did I say it clearly enough? We're not going to get into the theology of it. We can sometime. Maybe community group. Maybe if you want to do some study of other ways that polygamy affected families in the Bible, we're going to get to a few more of them as we study through Genesis. But just, just trust me when I say it is always surrounded by struggle and pain. And so, and so this sinful act leads, leads Abram to have a son. But as soon as, as Hagar finds out that she is pregnant, she begins to look down on Sarai. 
right? She says, look, I'm better than you. Obviously, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know what she was thinking. Maybe Abram's going to love me more. Abram's going to have a kid with me. So obviously I'm better than you. And, and it really offended Sarai to the point that she, again, started dealing harshly with Hagar. We don't know what all that means, but, but it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. She wasn't, she wasn't treating her with love, and she wasn't treating her as though, well, I'm the one who created this whole situation. She's losing perspective about these things. She's, she, her, 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 her kind of sinful act is leading to more pain and more struggle. Right? And, I, and if, you want, if you're writing down points, the first point that I really want to make is that, that trying to fix God's promise for him leads to pain. Losing sight of who God is leads to pain, leads to more sin, leads to more struggle. Um, Much later on in the Bible, when you get near the end of Jesus' life, he's been in the the garden and he's been praying because he knows it's about time for him to to die as a sacrifice to, to, to fix sin finally and he's been he's been teaching this to he had been teaching this to his disciples for a long time uh, if you've been coming on Sunday nights we actually just read this in Mark uh, just last week where, where he started explaining to his followers the whole reason I'm here is so that I can die as a sacrifice for sin and his disciples never really seemed to grasp it every time he would say hey this is why I'm here so that I can die but I'm gonna be raised again but I have to die and that's gonna happen every single time we just saw this last week Peter who's like my spirit animal in the Bible pulls Jesus aside and says you're wrong I know better than how to do this I will take care of it I will fix this we will not let that happen to you to the point that Jesus looks at him and says get behind me Satan Like he says, you are hindering me, you are tempting me into sin, into not accomplishing the thing that I am here for the express purpose of accomplishing. And and by the time we get to the garden, Jesus has asked his, his disciples, please just sit here and pray, I'm going to go pray, just keep watch. And one of Jesus' followers comes with a bunch of guards and he's here to betray Jesus and have Jesus arrested. And this is kind of that moment where either the light bulb's going to finally go on for his apostles or it's not. That Jesus is finally, it, it, it's time for Jesus to accomplish what he accomplishes. But here comes Peter, again, my spirit animal, saying, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. Uh, this is John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, in case you were wondering. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So what happens here, right? He loses sight of the big picture. He's saying, Jesus is saying, Peter, the big picture is not that I'm going to die. The big picture is that this is the plan of God, that I'm here so that I can die to save the sins of the world. I'm here to actually make reconciliation possible. That's my whole purpose. My whole reason for being here is to accomplish this part of the will of God, that I might save creation that's been broken ever since, ever since sin entered the world. But Peter continues to lose sight of the big picture and think, I can fix this. I can make this right. Let me just draw my sword here and let me just, make, let me just start taking big swings. I'm going to save Jesus. He's, gonna, he's ready to fight through an entire 
army for the sake of saving Jesus because he doesn't understand what the purpose of this moment is. Very similar mindset to what Sarah is doing here with Abram, right? Where she's saying, this is obviously something that God has overlooked. I need to fix it. I need to do something to make this right because God is not able to accomplish his will apart from me making sure that I correct a couple of mistakes that he's made along the way. And you think, when you say it in those words, you're like, that's crazy. Why would she do that? And, and, and we're not going to get into to who Ishmael was today. We're going to talk more about Ishmael in a few chapters uh, farther in. But, but in summary, Ishmael's the father of a nation that Israel will be rivals with for the rest of creation. Like, they're still at war even today. Um, this attempt to, to fix God's plan, to, to help God out because he obviously didn't completely understand what he was trying to do uh, is going to lead to so much pain and suffering and continued sin on sin on sin on sin for so long because she lost sight of who God was and what it was that she was trying to accomplish. And it sounds crazy to say, why would I think I know, why would somebody think they understand better how to do what than God? But don't we do that all the time when we say, I mean, I'm thinking through something Caleb mentioned last week. I mean, he was, talk, he was reading in Malachi, and he said, you know, talking about giving, and it's like, I can't afford to give, and God says, try me, right? And this isn't meant to be a sermon on giving, because, and just like last week's wasn't meant to be on giving, but, it, but it's like reflective of this understanding that I can't, I can't give my money to the church. I can't, I, can't, I can't give my money to somebody else who's asking me for a meal. I can't, I can't, I can't give somebody a ride because that costs me gas or that costs me time. Like Those things are, are painful for me. I can't be expected to do those things because, because I have to take care of myself. Surely God has forgotten that I have things that I have to take care of too. I have a schedule. I have a budget and all of these things that I can't let. And we're doing the exact same thing. Maybe we're not making an Ishmael. Maybe we're not cutting off somebody's ear with a sword. Don't cut off anybody's ear with a sword. If that's another just like blanket statement, don't do it. But we do this even with our day-to-day lives. We lose sight of the fact that this is part of, my life is a part of a bigger thing now that I have been called to be a part of the church. Now that I am a child of God, now that I am saved by the grace of God, God has given me a new heart with a new set of desires, a new set of motivations, and a new love for others in his creation. And even though it might take something from me, even though I think I know better what I'm supposed to do with my life, I'm supposed to go do this, God, so that I can do this, so that I can get to this point. Don't lose sight of the fact that God might call you to things that are hard, or God might call you to things that are impossible. I would say for an 80-something-year-old woman to be told, you're going to have a kid in a year, that sounds impossible. Just like it might sound impossible to think, God's calling me to give this money to this person or the church, or God's calling me to give up my time that I need to be either working on that thing for work or studying that thing for class so that I can go give this person a ride and maybe spend some time talking to them. 
and building a relationship with them. And it's so easy to just look at that one individual moment and just get nearsighted, right? Lose sight of the bigger picture. I'm a child of God saved by grace. What's 20 minutes of my time? I'm a child saved by grace. What's, what's some of this money that he's blessed me with? Or this money that he hasn't, I don't have a lot of money, but, but I so trust him that I'm still willing to let go of even more and give even more sacrificially. I don't know what your situation is. But we can't let ourselves get into the mindset of thinking, I understand better than God what I'm supposed to do with my life. I know the solution to this problem better than what God does. That's, that's pride, but we do it all the time. I just want to look at a couple of the things that were at play here. Um, and again, I'm not trying to get into like lots of like deep theological um, discussions. These might be some other things that you can kind of, this might be something else that you can kind of look at in your community groups this week. Um, but, but look at what happened here that led to all of this sin leading to sin leading to sin. Uh, and I'm going to compare this to a story that we've already read here in Genesis in just a second. But, but what we have here is a little bit of a reverse of creation order taking place. And when I say reverse creation order, um, when God created everything, he created man, and he said, I'm setting you above the rest of creation. You're going to have dominion over everything and then, and then he created Adam, and he said, it's not, it's not right that, guy, that, that man should be alone. I'll create a helper fit for him. And so he created Eve, and they complemented each other perfectly. He, he, gave, he gave Adam the, 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 the calling of, of leading and taking care of protecting and providing for Eve, and Eve was there to, to assist Adam and to help Adam, not saying that she was different in value or in any way, but she was different in role, and part of her calling was that, that she was going to follow the leadership of her husband. And what we see in this situation is Sarah saying, I see a better way, Abram. I need you to do this, and I need you to do this. And we see Abram submitting to the sinful direction of his wife. And what we, we see is, is, and we saw this at the fall. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, what the point I'm not trying to make is all of sin is Eve's fault. Because Adam was right there, and he was tasked with, with leading her and protecting her from sin, and he didn't say anything. He hung back, and, and honestly, if you, want, if, if, you want to, if you want my opinion, I think... Sin started with Adam not stepping in in that moment and saying, Eve, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. We've been told by God that's not what's happening. An option that you would assume was kind of in front of Abram when, she, when his wife said, hey, why don't you go get married to my servant and have a kid with her? That'd be great. He was like, okay, fine, right? I'm not saying it's not sin, of, sin on Abram. I'm not saying it's not sin on Sarai. What I'm saying is, when these relationship orders get reversed. Because what also happened at the fall? You had, you had Eve listening to the serpent, which was part of the creation that she was supposed to have dominion over, and now she's submitting to that, right? This whole flip-flopping of everything that God had set up. 
And when we see this reversed creation order, just like we see present here in Genesis chapter 16, that's when all of this pain and sin and struggle really, really rears its head, right? That's when we see these things happening. And so, and so it's losing sight of, of the big picture of what God's doing. It's losing sight of the fact that Abram should have been able to step in and say, no, I just talked to God literally a few days ago, and he said he's going to take care of this, and I trust him. Abram didn't speak up when he saw this happening either. And he had every opportunity. I mean, he's the one who still went and married the servant and had the extra kid. And just like it was a reversal of the creation order, it's also a reversal of every single thing that we studied last week. That the, film, the fulfillment of God's promise would be God's doing alone. We read this just last week. Genesis 15, 17 and 18 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. We talked about all the different animals that had been, been cut up and set in, in front of them uh, for the covenant. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And what we talked about last week was that what happened? It was that God and Abram were going to make a covenant, but then God caused this great sleep to fall on Abram, and God himself walked through saying, I'm the one who's going to guarantee this promise. You don't have to do anything. None of this is on you. This is all on me. I will accomplish this. I am God. I will make it happen. And immediately, we see this reversal in that. We see, oh, I need to do something to help God accomplish his will, which is the exact opposite of every single thing that God has demonstrated to them up until this point. He says, I'm going to do something amazing because I am God, and I am gracious, and I am merciful, and I'm powerful enough to accomplish these things. Right? God, God doesn't, and, and, and I think it's great, because this doesn't break God's promise. God says, I'm, and, and we're going to see this, we're going to see this farther in. We're going to get back to this. But, but God's going to continue to say, no, I'm still going to accomplish exactly what I said. This didn't break the, this doesn't break the covenant that Abram sinned in this way. This doesn't break the, the covenant because, because Abram was never one of the people who was meant to fulfill the promise on his own anyways. Just like God said, I will take care of this. Just because Abram tries his hardest to break it doesn't mean he gets to. He's not powerful enough to fulfill it, and he's also not powerful enough to break it with God. And I think that's an amazing thought, right? That, that God still will continue to show mercy even in the face of this sin that Abram accomplished. What I'm not saying is that means that because we are saved, we have been given free license to sin because God will still be faithful to us. Don't hear that. That's not what I'm saying, right? He even says, uh, Paul, Paul writes in Romans, what, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Like, should we just keep doing bad things so that we can highlight how graceful God, grace-filled God is? No, by no means. We're not in that life anymore. We're in a new life, new heart, new motivations, new actions. But that doesn't mean that our sin is powerful enough to break the promise of God. Right? Even in this moment, even in this sinful moment when Abram has had this son and, and his wife has begun to deal with his, 
his mother harshly, and she tries to run away. God even stops her and says, no, no, go back, submit to her. I will take care of you and your family. I'm gonna, he, he even gives a very similar promise to her. I will make a great nation of your son. He's not the son through whom all of the fulfillment of my promise for reconciliation is going to come. But, but, but I will still take care of you. God still shows mercy to Hagar and Ishmael, even in this moment, because, because he's, that's who he is. He is a God who's filled with love and mercy. And even though this is a sinful act that, that results in sin, is going to lead to pain and suffering and struggle and sin. Even though this is going to be a, a, a nation that's going to be at war with the people of God, makes me think that a lot of these people are not going to be part of the promise of God, aren't going to be recipients of salvation. They're going to be outside of, of that. God's still concerned for them and God still cares for them because that's who God is, because he's still a God of mercy and he's still going to accomplish really amazing things through this moment. Because we can lose sight of the fact, again, we can get too laser focused on this sinful act led to a sinful result and led to all this pain and suffering and strife within this family is going to lead to all this pain. But, but even in looking at that, even just that struggle between two nations, we could say, this is the problem. And yes, it is. This is the result of sin. These kinds of things happen. But we can still easily lose sight of the fact that God still is going to create two great nations. And God is still at work. And God... and, and, and and we've made this point, I think, very clear throughout this study, that, that none of these things are surprising to God. It's not surprising that we try to fix his plan. It's not surprising that Sarai did this. It's not surprising. God's not surprised. His plan is still at work. Just like I said, just like I said, our sin can't break the promise of God. No action that we take is changing the plan of God, is changing what God has, has, has clearly marked out and laid out for all of his creation. Because he's still in control and he's still at work. Even in this moment, God's will is still being accomplished. Because he's God and he's sovereign over all of his creation. And so, what are we supposed to do with this? What are we, how, I'm, I mean, yes, I could give you very practical advice like, hey, don't go cut off God's ears. Hey, don't go make Ishmael's. But what's the point? The point is, don't think that we know better how to, how to handle situations than God does. Don't think God hasn't thought through this situation because he has. Don't think I need to fix this mistake that God made. Surely God didn't intend for my life to go this direction. Surely God didn't intend for me to be in this place because this doesn't seem good. This isn't fun. This isn't filled with joy. This is only filled with sadness, anger, disgust, fear. Inside out reference. Full circle. It's so easy for us to say, I don't like where I am. God must have forgotten me. So I'm going to do this to make myself feel better. I'm going to, or I'm going to try to change this because I don't think what God's doing is right. Not saying that there aren't things in our lives that we're supposed to do, but to, do, but to, but to think I need to do these things because God obviously forgot about them. It's just, it's just pride, and, it's, and it's, it's wasted effort, wasted energy. Because, because whatever situation you may be in, whatever situation you may find yourself living in, God is capable of, 
of, of walking with you through that, right? That's why he sent his son the way that he did. It's, it, I mean, we read about this just a couple of weeks ago, again, on Sunday nights, reading through Mark. If you haven't been coming, you really should, because just reading the Bible out loud is so amazing. But, but he comes, and he hangs out with all these people in broken situations, people that society had said, we don't need them, they're, they're bad people. Why would, why would Jesus come and hang out with them? He said, well, a doctor doesn't come for the healthy people. A doctor comes for the sick people, right? So maybe you're sitting there saying, I am a sick person, or I am a broken person, or I'm a person who's, who's at my wits end. I have nothing or I have no hope. You have hope. You have hope in Christ because he is a God, because our God is a God of mercy, and our God is a God of grace, and our God is a God of salvation and reconciliation. And even though you think, I am in this situation, I know better, than, I know better for my life than what God wants. no. God knows exactly what he wants for your life. And my prayer is that it's to know him and to be saved by him and to be reconciled by him and to be given a new heart, to be given a new set of motivation, to be given a family in the church that can come around you and walk with you through whatever things you're struggling with, whatever pain you may be feeling. You don't, you don't have to think, I'm in this all by myself, or you're just losing, again, you're losing sight of the big picture. If you're sitting here thinking, nobody understands the situation that I'm in, I'm in it by myself, and I can only get, it out, get out of this by myself, then you're losing sight of the fact that there is a God who is over all of his creation, and he is building his church into an army of people who are there to love and serve and, and, and guide you toward him and show you the truth of the gospel there is hope in Christ and that there is salvation in his blood that we just sang about. Let's pray.